Well, I don't even know how to begin. Um, I, I brought both, I've written two books. Well, I call them almost glorified pamphlets. <laughs> uh, and here's the reason. I, mo, let me just ask, how many of you are readers? Oh, yeah. oh wow, you probably wouldn't be in it. Most people aren't. And, and I figure if you're not a reader, you'll read 70 pages, but you won't read 300, <laughs> right? You can read this in an hour and a half. By the way, oh, well, I'll get to that. Uh, during COVID, this came out, A View from Grief's Window. It was 10 lessons I learned from the death of my parents. Um, they have sold tens of copies of this. <laughs> I, you know, we get royalty checks for writing. I have lost money on this because <laughs> I keep buying them and giving them to people. So if you need one, come see me. I don't have any with me. I actually borrowed these. Uh, but I, and and I, let me say, I'm not a writer. I, I just write like you should. I really do believe everyone should write, whether they're a writer or not. Uh, what the, the way this came about, and I will get to this book, I promise. The way this came about was when my parents died, well, when my dad died, I just wrote. It helped me process uh, by training. I'm a psychologist, which should worry you just a little bit. You hate your mother. <laughs> if it's not one thing, it's your mother, right? Uh, But I just wrote what was going on with me. And then when mom died 10 years later, I just kept writing. Well, I was on Truth and Peace staff with a young lady who had had, I think, two or three miscarriages in a year. And so I just sent her some of the stuff that I'd written about what the process that I went through. And she, she happened to be an English teacher. And she said, Neil, you really need to put that together and finish it. And she said, because I think it will be helpful. And somebody just stopped me before I came in here and said, I've given these away to people, and they've been so helpful. Uh, it's not rocket science, but it's just right. And because here's what writing does. As a counselor, I always have my clients to write because I think it gets it out of your head and onto a piece of paper. And then you can process it a little better. Even in daily life, if you're going through stuff, write it down. Because then it's on, and you can edit it. Funny story, I was on staff at Welch. You may understand that I can't keep a job. <laughs> but I was on staff there. I, I came out of the academic building, and there's a girl standing by the telephone pole crying. And I'm not the smartest guy. I went over and asked her if I could be helpful. What was I thinking? And she said her boyfriend had just broken up with her which is devastating if you're a college student. And I said, well, write him a letter and tell him everything you want to tell him. She goes, I can't send that. I go, I didn't say send it. <laughs> I said, send, write it and then burn it up and say, I'm done with thee. <laughs> she came back the next day. She goes, I did that. I'm good. <laughs> it helps. It really does. L let me give you one other reason. Let me ask you. What do you know about your great-grandparents? Hardly anything, right? My, I don't even know anything about my grandparents, hardly. My dad 
was orphaned by the time he was seven years old. Both parents died within six months of each other of TB back in the day. But if they would have written something, I would know something about them. So one day my, my grandson, and I'm sorry for all of you, I have the best grandson that has ever walked the face of this earth. I wish I, had, I could tell you stories. But one day he may pick this up and he will know something about his papa. Uh, and I just think it's important. So that's my, this book, again, it wasn't, none of these are meant to be books. This was, I just, I, I, I was just writing stories about various things. There's one story in here. Some of these are true, some of them aren't. Uh, some of them are fiction. But most fiction is based on some sort of truth. Uh, you'll be able to figure it out. So let me, uh, if you'll indulge me, I want to read. Um, I really want to read the endorsements because Pastor Rob Morgan wrote an endorsement for it. That's the best thing in this book. <laughs> I need my glasses. I don't really need them, but they make me look smart. Hey, Coop. There's the cutest baby in the world back there. Um, let me read the introduction to this, and it will give you an idea, and then I've got questions for you. I told you this wasn't very formal. Oh, I probably shouldn't bend this. It's not mine. Uh, yeah, no, I'll make them give it to me. Um, it says, from a current perspective, a view from Joy's window almost sounds like an oxymoron in the light of world, the world's social, political, financial, and religious landscape. Our social landscape Landscape is a foul-smelling landfill of moral decay. America lost the post-World War II God-fearing moral compass in the name of freedom. In the 60s, we heard the first loud cries for freedom from any idea or ideal that establishes boundaries on thought and action. And since then, there's been a move towards freedom away from moral responsibility. There is an increasing chasm between political ideologies that have become uncooperative and vitriolic. I'm sorry about my voice. My voice is about to go. The financial stability of our nation more often than not teeters on the brink of collapse. The Judeo-Christian religious foundations on which our country was founded are constantly being questioned and muzzled. So when I look out on life's window, the landscape from a public perspective seems to offer very little hope to be joyful. But there is. As followers of Christ, our joy is grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. My hope is this book will change your perspective and you will find true joy. If you were to do a Bible study on the subject, you may never finish because the scriptures are filled with joy. Admonitions and reasons to be joyful are woven throughout the scripture. Uh, this book is not to men, meant to be an exhaustive list of reasons to be joyful. The goal is you will write down your own narratives of joy. Write your own chapters and stories and thank the Father for the gift of joy. As a counselor, I always encourage people to write and it brings clarity to your thoughts and emotions. So write your stories and discover new avenues of joy as you remember the events of your life that brought true joy. The structure of this book reflects my learning style. I apologize if it's not yours. I tend to learn more profoundly from the narrative than I do from propositional truth. Please don't give me an outline. I'm sorry. And please don't alliterate it. <laughs> Drives me crazy. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, you preachers. <laughs> Three points, poem and a prayer. So the structure of this book is a brief biblical foundation and an original short story. Some are true, others are fictional. You can be the judge to illustrate the principle and then some brief concluding notes. So here's my question. What brings you joy? Huh? Family. Family. Oh, by the way, that's a chapter in this book. Okay. And you have, right, you have all kinds of stories from family, right? Write them down. And then read them and smile. What brings you joy? How are you? Hmm? Friends. Friends. That's not in the book. <laughs> so write it. Helping others with what? Without having to. Oh, helping others without having to. Boy, should we all do that? We just had one of our Truth and Peace staff members chase down a robber. He didn't have to. He said he had watched TV shows all of his life of people doing that and nobody helping. And he said if that chance ever happens... By the way, they recovered probably over $60,000 worth of jewelry that the guy had just stolen. Just down the street. But I got it back. <laughs> if there's any rings at my house, any earrings, they go, oh, mama. You know what I mean? I'm just kidding. What else brings you joy? A good book. Yeah, don't buy these. <laughs> what is it? Compliments. Compliments? Yeah. Knowing there's a place on the other side waiting. Say that again. Knowing there's a place on the other side waiting for Absolutely. We've got hope, don't we? She said her garden. Uh, I think we have forgotten how to be joyful. I, I go to a lot of churches, speak in a lot of places, and if these people are joyful, somebody ought to tell their face. <laughs> go ahead, bless me. I love Jesus with all my heart. He has done so much for me. Isn't that? Life's hard. And, and please understand, I understand there's times there's times to be sad. There's times to grieve. But we don't live like other people. Sure. I did, uh, in my training, I was doing some clinical work at Vanderbilt University's Counseling Center. On my last day there, I was there about 20 hours a week uh, for two straight years. Had my hand on the door, getting ready to leave. And the office manager said, Neil, I need to talk to you. Or no, she said, I need to tell you something. I go, okay. I went in her office and she said, Neil, you're not real. I said, you might need to explain that. <laughs> she said, you've been here for two years every day and you've never had a bad day. I go, nope. I've seen bad. This isn't it. I saw babies dying of starvation in Africa. That's bad. I went to a hospital once. I don't know if you, you guys ever, I went, a, a young girl was dying of flesh eating disease. I mean, she was, her face was just, her, her, she was just rotting. It was the most grotesque thing. 
We took a whole youth choir in with a, with a keyboard and a guitar into a hospital room. I go, can we do this? The nurses said, you do whatever you need to do for this young girl. We'll deal with administration. <laughs> and we sang. She tried to sing, but she had no lips anymore. I said, that's bad. But what I saw here, that's not bad. And I said, besides, I have hope. This is not the end for me. This is just, I'm just passing through, right? We've got hope. How can I not be joyful? Right. By the way, it is one of the fruit of the Spirit, is it not? Right. As John Forrester say, joy. <laughs> we ought to be joyful. I, I went to Target one day. <laughs> We're a little higher class in Nashville. Went through the line, and the lady says to me, she said, sir, would you do me a favor? I said, I'll try. She said, would you go buy something else and come through my line again? <laughs> You're fun. Shouldn't we not be that way? Yes. By the way, you know what's not on the list? Grumpy is not in this book. <laughs> and you say, well, you just don't know. I, I don't care. It's not on the list. Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit, right? Which I think is the secret to the Christian life. You want to be people like you? Just live out the fruit of the Spirit. And grumpy's not there. Griping and complaining is not there, even about the president or the former president. It's not there. I'm sorry. I hate to be biblical. <laughs> By the way, there is an e-version of this book, I've been told, and there is an audio version of this book. The unfortunate thing, James Earl Jones and Morgan Freeman were busy that week. <laughs> And I had to read it. So, uh, so if you want an audio version, you can shut that off real quick. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so what else brings you joy? Seeing creation. Seeing creation. By the way, that's in the book. I, I think I just bought a, a course on birding. I'm taking a course on birding because I, I think... I, I'm not a tree hugger, but I could come close to being. I'm not going to strap myself to a tree that they're going to cut down. And, but I think we have not taken care of God's creation very well. And I, I, I'm with you. I watch birds all the time. I love being in the mountains. Some of you like the ocean. If they could do away with sand, I would like it. <laughs> it just follows you everywhere, right? It's like tomatoes in your garden. They show up everywhere. I think they crawl in the house at night. What else brings you joy? A smile. A smile? Who said that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you can be down and down. Somebody's going through a hard time. And they just smile like You know, psychologists would tell you that there's a direct correlation between how you feel physically and how you feel emotionally. Uh, you're not feeling good, be happy, be joyful, and smile. You'll be surprised. Go take a walk. I tell my clients, go take a walk. Oh, by the way, let me give, this is free advice. You don't even have to come see me. I, I really had some problems the other day. I decided I'd just go and counsel myself. I looked in the mirror and I realized I can't even afford me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
you, you thought you were coming to learn something here, didn't you? Um, how many of you, uh, Fred got trashed this morning by his wife. So kick him in the shins because he broke his wife's leg. Uh, how many of you as a couple argue or have an argument? Never? Never? My wife and I don't because we never see each other. Uh, yeah, I mean, we do. If I can help you finish your argument. Uh, take a walk and hold hands. You don't want to hold hands. <laughs> Research would say if you have at least 18 inches of your body touching, the argument will be in half because she can't get a good swing at you at that time. <laughs> be joyful. Right? And how do we do that? I, I, I will tell you. Let, let me tell you what I, the seven things that I, I can't, probably can't remember. I think I start, one of the greatest things, joys, I think, is the incarnation. I never get tired of reading this, the Christmas story. I think I said this in a book, but there would not have been a cross had there not been the incarnation. I think that's where it starts. And I just love that story. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Well, I don't know if I would. When the angel showed up to the shepherds, I would have been scared. I get it. I think every angel showed up that night. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't you have liked to have seen that? Though? That would be awesome. And what did they say? I bring you great tidings of what? Great joy. It starts with that. So I talk about the incarnate, and then I, I tell some stories about how God taught me a different perspective on the incarnation from living in Africa, where it was about 110 degrees on Christmas. But we had snow because they would burn the fields and the ashes would come flying through the air and all of a sudden it would, it would just kind of... I talked the joy... Oh, this one gets to me. The joy of being uniquely created. As a counselor, I spend a whole lot of time dealing with people. John will probably know this. And they say this to me. I've done some surveys with young people especially, and I said, tell me your three biggest problems. I said, don't put your name on it because I recognize your handwriting. And I said, e every time that I did that, every time, the number one problem came up every time. And they would say it in a multiplicity of ways. They would say, I don't like myself. I wish I was somebody else. I'm a nobody. Uh, I just want you to know that you are uniquely and wonderfully created. And when it says, remember he said that uh, we were created uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, when we read about fear in the Bible, it's not that God's about to zap us. It means this utter sense of awe and wonder. So when he was knitting me together in my mother's womb, he missed a stitch, but, but when he did that, when he did that, he stepped back and went, whoa. Look at what I just did. If he had a billfold, he'd show everybody my picture. The one going around here. By the way, please don't get that. That sticker with my face on it. That's rather embarrassing. That was not my idea, trust me. Oh, there's a chapter on how uh, the joy of making right choices. You know, if you make right choices, you're happy. 
know, I tell students uh, at Truth and Peace on E-Team, if you just follow the rules, you'll be a lot, lot more joyful because you're not looking behind your shoulder. Anybody regret choices you made as a child or as a teenager or as an adult? Don't we? But if we made the right choices, we will have a whole lot more joy. Uh, there's a chapter about that. Uh, the, ooh, the joy of being forgiven. Can I tell you, again, as a counselor, I, I think most people really don't struggle a ton. They sometimes with childhood things, but they don't struggle a lot with forgiving other people. It's forgiving themselves. Some of you may be in that boat. I just, I just want you to know, I don't care what you've done. Jesus still loves you. I don't care. Oh, this, uh, there's a story not in this book, but I don't think it's in this book. Anyway, you'd think I'd know it's 70 pages. <laughs> I, was, I do concerts of prayer. Um, I do them at E-Team Truth and Peace in various places. Every year I go up to a little church in the mountains of North Carolina, and it's a prayer summit for world missions. And I'll do a concert of prayer. Uh, during one of our concerts of prayer, I, um, there was a, a teacher that had just come to visit. And she said, I would like for you to pray. Um, I teach second grade. One of my students' dad had taken her up into the mountains, abused her, and then killed her. And I've got to face my second grade class tomorrow. And I don't know what to say. So we gathered around her and prayed. And then one of the elderly gentlemen said, we need to pray for that dad too. I said, I don't want to pray for him. I said that out loud. But I said, the truth is God loves him too. I was in Northern Ireland speaking at a conference and uh, I get invited a lot of places at once. Um, <laughs> But he, uh, these two guys came up to me and said, is it okay to take out a doctor that commits abortions? I said, what do you mean take out? They go, you know, take him out. I go, well, let me ask you this question. Who does God love the most, those children, those babies, or that doctor? They go, oh, I never thought about that. Now, please, I, I'm not pro-abortion at all, but God loves everybody. I don't care what you've done. Anyway, that's in the book. Uh, the joy of family. We talked about the joy of creation. The joy of God's perfect provision. I don't want to ruin the book, but I want to tell you one story. Can I do that? That's in the book. You remember when uh, Jesus was actually trying to get away to be by himself to grieve over the death of John the Baptist. He was really trying to sneak away. But the crowds heard about it. And they came. There, the scripture says there were about 5,000, but in reality, 5,000 men. So 
you know, men, women, and children. There's probably more like 20,000. The disciples come to him and said, hey, uh, these people need to go home. This is in the NIV, Neil's incredible version. <laughs> these people need to go. They, it's supper time. He said, well, what have you got? Well, one of the disciples said, well, we got a boy who has some sardines and you know, a loaf of Wonder Bread. <laughs> Jesus said, bring it to me. And remember, he said, take and feed these people. Divide them up in groups, and they divide them up. It was brilliant. Divide them up in groups, keep handing them out. When it's done, they had, what, 12 baskets full left, right? What I just learned, maybe some of you scholars know this, there's two words for baskets in the, in the Bible. One, every picture, I, you remember in Sunday school, we used to get the little cards that had the pictures of things. Everyone had the, like, bushel baskets of them carrying fish and bread up. Uh, there, there is a word for basket that was where they lowered the guy down through the roof for Jesus to heal. It would hold a guy. The other basket is about the size of a lunch pail. That was that basket. There were 12 of those left. Now, I don't have anything to back this up. But I do know there were 12 disciples that still needed lunch. It was God's perfect provision. Can I tell you something? I don't care what you're going through. God will provide perfectly. He always does. You may not think so at that moment. But if that doesn't give you joy, I'm not sure I can help you. Right? I could tell you lots of stories. Um, there's one, how God provided for my wife in France. Uh, for my wife and I, it was a very, very difficult time. But God had perfect provision for us. Um, he always does, and He always will. Um, it's exciting that... When you don't, I just got a text from a friend the other day who was at the end of her rope. And I said, you tie a knot, hang on, because God will provide. He always does. Uh, again, sometimes we don't know what that's like in the moment. Uh, but he always, uh, is it just me? Are you ever surprised when God answers your prayer? What is that about? <laughs> now, Haley's going to yell at me for doing this. No, you will. Can I do this? Is it okay? Even though she doesn't agree with me, but what does she know? How many, let me just see how many of you trust God. Let me see your hand if you trust God. Okay. How many of you worry? Whoa, 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 stop. <laughs> One of those is not true. But Haley says that's because I'm not a woman. That is baloney. <laughs> Isn't that, aren't, shouldn't we be ashamed of ourselves? We say we trust God, and then we worry. Why? I think we'd have more joy if we didn't. And just realize, God's going to provide. I don't think this is in the book either. No, I know it's not. My, some of you will remember when the school, um, the missionary kids school in Africa was caught in the middle of a war. There, the government was on one side. Tanya and I both worked there. It, matter of fact, we became the, uh, oh, come on in. We're almost done. Um, <laughs> you came at the perfect time. Uh, 
the mission actually became the media spokesman for them. I was on the phone with them because, you know, if they said they were over by the monastery, I didn't have to, I knew where that was. And well, at one point I was talking to Mike Cousineau, uh, I could hear the bullets going through the trees. I went back to my professor. I said, you didn't tell me what to say at that moment. She goes, I have no idea what you say. Anyway, my, my, good, my, my best friend I ever had probably, or one of the best friends I ever had, he grew up in the jungles of Vietnam as a missionary kid. His parents were Christian Missionary Alliance missionaries. <laughs> Either puberty is about to strike again or I'm just losing my voice. But um, So I called his mom. By the way, uh, her husband had buried three of their colleagues who had been martyred in Vietnam. So they, under, they were there during the war. They were some of the last people out during the Tet Offensive. So I called Mom Evans and I said, hey, I just talked to Ev. It's tense, but, but they're okay. And she says, this is not, she goes, of course he is now. I go, well, it's tense, but the, she goes, of course he's okay. She said, Neil, um, this is probably his sixth or seventh evacuation. Uh, this is nothing new. And she goes, Neil, if they get out, he'll be fine. But Neil, if he doesn't, he'll be just fine. Now, that's not the conversation I have with most mamas. I could understand my kids. My grandkids, hmm. Actually, I talked to one granddad who said his son was a kid in the school. He said, oh, they'll get him out. We'll find him. They'll be in West Africa somewhere. You know what? You have a lot more joy if you respond that way when you just trust God. Right? But we don't. And don't look at me like you do. And I won't look at you like I do because I worry too. Here's my... This has nothing to do with joy. No, it does. Here's my... I can, I'll share with you my biggest worry. I, I still work with E-Team in Truth and Peace. I'm an old guy. I'm older than most of you think. I was, in, I was in college when Sesame Street came out. We used to skip class to watch it. I don't know much about psychology, but I know my alphabet. This seminar has been brought to you by the letter E. Um, you're going, why did I come to this? What was I talking about? Oh, here's, here's my biggest worry. It really is my biggest fear. I think I still connect with the students, but I know a lot of old guys who think they do, and the students dread seeing them come. I don't want to be that guy. I worry about that all the time. I should just trust God. I'd be a lot more joyful. I'm pretty joyful anyway. You know why? I've got hope. You should be. There's enough. There's a, that's what the introduction said. There's enough bad going on in the world for us to be miserable. Right? I don't watch the news. I did order Grit magazine. Do you remember Grit? How many of you remember Grit? You know what? what? It was happy news. <laughs> well, we don't even get news now. We get opinions. Sorry. I don't, I'm not political. I'm going to become a Whig. I don't know what that is. but <laughs> It's better than what we got. I'm sorry. <laughs> At least you're laughing. Isn't that good medicine? 
Oh, oh, by the way, that's in the Bible. Is it not? I got... I was kicked out of a children's church as a college student. It was my, what do you call the, um, what did we do? Christian service. My job was to go to this Free Will Baptist Church and work in children's church. Now, some of you, you can judge me if you want to. I really don't care. I've already been kicked out. <laughs> well, the kids were being kids. I hope we let kids be kids. You know, they were having fun. And this guy comes in. He said, all right, put both feet on the floor, set up straight. He said, we came to church to, to worship God, not to have fun. I, I just couldn't let that go. I said, hey, I'm sorry. The most fun I ever have is to come to church. I think we ought to have fun. I think we can worship and have fun too. Yeah, I got the left foot of fellowship. We... We're so glad you're here. And don't you, don't you hate that you just walked in with Anyway. I'm not nice, am I? Be joyful. Buy lots and lots of these books. I mean, I don't want to lose money again. Uh, but anyway, questions, comments, criticism? I don't know. What, to, what time are we supposed to be done? Probably not for 25 minutes. I have 15 minutes. Oh, there's my... We have, so I answer questions in 15 minutes. He's had all he could take. <laughs> I almost had him at the altar. Um, yeah, they should be here. Yeah, it'll be at the Randall House booth. I, I think the audio, I, they, I was told, I don't know. I've, well, I have kind of heard the audio version. It was, I, all of you hate to hear your own voice, right? It just sounds weird. I don't know why you're in here. Yes. A question. Sure. Uh, just for pastors, if there's such a thing as a short answer uh, on how to maintain balance. In, yeah, in your there is. And I, try, I hope to do that to maintain. Oh, I'm sorry. I hope that I maintain balance because there's times that it's not about being funny. And it's not about being happy because there's times that are not happy. But I think, I, I, this is just my own personal, I think we ought to be as positive as we can all the time. Because there's enough bad. And so, but there is times that you have to tell truth and sometimes truth is hard. There's a passage, it cost me about $50,000. Uh, it's, in, it's in, in Corinthians that says, the God of all comfort comforts us that we might com comfort one another. You remember that verse? That's the verse that propelled me to go get my PhD in psychology. That's why it cost me 50,000. Because I wanted to, but by the way, some of the newer, the, the Greek word is parakleo or paraklesis, which literally means to walk beside somebody. And I wanted to be able to do that, especially with missionary kids. Uh, and it's just blossomed from there. But that word can be, some of the newer translations will translate that the God of all encouragement encourages us so that we can encourage. There's another way to translate that word. It is the God of all confrontation confronts us so that we can confront one another. Sometimes it's hard. 
you have to say hard things. When my good friend Clint Morgan says to me, Neil, let me tell you something as a brother. I know I'm about to get it. <laughs> but that's why he's my good friend. And that's why I can be joyful because he keeps me, as our Luby friends would say, paka paka. We follow Jesus in a straight line. And so it keeps me following Jesus in a straight line. If I'm following him in a straight line, I'm making better decisions. So sometimes you do have to, as a pastor, uh, and, or as a leader or as a teacher, you have to tell truth. But I just look for ways to do that in a joyful way. I have this theory that if people enjoy, as a professor, sometimes I'm a professor, that one of my students is here. Uh, anybody else that been in my class? You've been in my class? I try to make class fun. I try to make it enjoyable because I think you learn better if you're enjoying what, I can tell you, the, the course that you enjoyed the most, you got the best grades in. Because you enjoyed it, right? Now, it may have not been full of laughter, but it's just fascinating. And I, I took, the most valuable course I ever took was cultural anthropology. It helped me understand the world. I, I, I'm Appalachian. It helped me understand that. And I'm going, I went out and bought extra textbooks. I asked the professor, Kronk, if you knew that, I asked him, I can't, can I take it again? Because I knew it wouldn't be the same the second time. Uh, you will know, our class was fun. We had a good time. Uh, and keep watching birds. Uh, can I tell you, that, that I will tell you about the final I gave. It, I, I taught a course called the Psychology of Adjustment, which was just about all the adjustments you go through in life. It's, I, I love teaching that course because it was just about life. And so for the final, I said, don't study because it won't help you. Well, they didn't believe me. Did you study? Yeah, you stu yeah, yeah, I didn't believe you. I said, they, they came to the final. I go, put your books down and come with me. And we walked around the neighborhood at the old campus for about, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes, sat in the median on this bench where there's only seven or eight in the class. I actually saw that picture the other day. And we took our picture. So we get back in the room. I go, so tell me what you saw. Houses, <laughs> trees. Oh, how many birds did you see? None of them saw a bird. I said, I saw seven different species. You want me to tell you the names? I said, we sat on the bench, had our picture taken. When was it put there? They go, how are we supposed to know that? I go, there's a plaque right in front of it. It said it was put there in 1968. You didn't see that? None of them saw it. I said, the secret is to be observant. And when you observe the world around you, you can be joyful. Two years later, Nikki put on Facebook, I just took my kids to the park. Let me tell you about the birds I saw. Dr. Gilliland would be very proud of me. I remember that, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. But it was, I go, that brings joy in life. And, and I will tell you, as a pastor, if anything psychology taught me was to be observant. And when you can observe your congregation, and know what they need. And sometimes, I think, 
I grew up in an era, and some of you, if you didn't feel bad when you came out of church, you didn't go to church. Right? They just beat you up. I mean, they beat you up, and you felt guilty, even though you're the best kid in the world, but I must be the most horrible kid in the world. Right? So when you can learn to read your congregation and say, you know, they may need some correction this week. And the other weeks, they, they may need a hug from God. Does that make sense? And so that's how you get some balance. Uh, can I, it comes a little bit more. I just went up to this uh, church in, in North Carolina to, to talk about grief. They, they had gone through a lot of grief. And it was a very small church. And I said, you know, in a small church, and I, I, my guess is many of you came from a small church, I said, you have the advantage. In a big church, you can get lost in the middle of grief. And in a little church, it's family. And they become, and in a little church, when things go down, everybody rallies around. And that church, they said, we would have not made it through all that we've had with joy when we went through grief, had it not been for our family here. And, and some people, you will have a lot of people these days, it's the only family they have. And that's a beautiful thing.